So last week, I just want to always recap because Paul sometimes shifts gears quickly between these, you know, kind of thoughts, these from seven to 15, he's talking about how love fulfills the law, how if you are a true Christian, that you're going to be under the law or excuse me, that you're me, you're me under uh, grace, but that these Christians were choosing to be under the law. They weren't necessarily saying, well, we want to be judged by that. They were listening to people tell them, you have to go back to the law because you guys aren't really Jewish and we're, we're, we have this, you know, that because we are Judaizers or because we are Jewish, we're going to let you guys in on a little secret. Jesus is great, but you need this too. And so they were basically preaching a, another gospel, which Paul says, hey, let anybody that does that be accursed, including myself. He goes, if, if, if I'm preaching the same thing that they say, they say I'm preaching what I'm telling you, they're telling you, which is wrong, then why are they persecuting me? If I'm really all about Judaism, if I'm all really about the law, then why is it that they fight me? Why is it that I'm the enemy? Why is it that everybody's mad at me for writing these truths to you? So he says, hey, I wish these guys would be cut off. And, and that is a lot. There's a lot in that. But I wish they were at least gone from you guys because they're, you're called to liberty. You're not called to the law. You're not called to be underneath this. The law is fulfilled in one word. Or in one, in, in one sentence, basically, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so what he's now shifting to, after letting them know where they were headed, now he's saying, hey, now it's time to walk in the Spirit. He says in verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And there's, there's basically with this, this term that I I called this teaching walking spirit road. There's basically two roads you can, you can walk down in this life. And one of them, the late Bon Scott once sang 50 years back, a highway to hell. And if you listen to that song, if you listen to that, those lyrics, you realize that he's quite proud of his life and people joining him and going that direction. It's an ACDC song. If you don't know who Bon Scott was, and then there's the narrow way. There's what I call spirit road, walking in God's spirit. So there's the highway to hell, but does anybody actually call it that anymore? No, no, no. We would never call it that because hell is so, it's so uh, polarizing or it's so, um, it's not enlightened enough. It's not broad enough. It's not um, woke enough. It's not all these things that, that people would say, you know, that's, that's old religion. You know, there's really not a hell. There's really this universalist progressiveness that some churches have subscribed to versus everybody else who basically has taken an abbreviated Hinduism and said that any earnest pursuit of God or something is good enough to get you to the top of the mountain. That's Hinduism 101. And so there's two roads. And so Paul's saying, you know, whether or not you identify and say, I want to I go down the highway to hell, I want to say, I don't care about God, I want to say I'm an atheist, or you say, you know what, I don't really need Jesus, I'll get there, but I don't really need Jesus. Whatever you're saying, if you say, I don't need the narrow way, you may as well be singing highway to hell, 
Like that's just the way it is. That's just the scriptures. The scriptures are narrow. Nothing else in life is. Everything else is gray or ambiguous or confusing or evolving or whatever. That's what's going on in our world right now, in our culture right now. It just keeps getting more and more and more gray or more and more and more ambiguous. You can't really discern what the world is preaching right now or what they're really telling earnest seekers of like, hey, what's this life really about? And so he goes, I say, then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Verse 16 is the, it's basically the thesis. What does a Christian need to do? What does a Christian, um, what is a Christian called to do? To walk in the spirit. Well, what does that mean? We talk, we talk about these spiritual terms. Sometimes we're in books that are uh, super heady, if you will, or super theological. And some of them are just, they're just straight application. And Galatians kind of slaloms in and out. But walking in the spirit so that you don't walk in your flesh, so that you don't walk in yourself, so that you don't do all the things that you just feel like doing today. Acknowledging as a Christian that God calls you and I out of fleshly living. He calls us out of living for ourselves. That's what, when you say yes to Jesus, whether or not you've been given the whole gospel, as we say, whether or not you do, when you acknowledge, when you raise your hand or when you pray and ask God to come into your heart. When you do that, what you're saying is, I need help. You're acknowledging that God is God and you're not. The world does not know this call. They don't know the call to walk in the spirit. They don't know the call to walk alongside Christ. And one of the reasons is, verse 17, for the flesh lusts against the spirit. Everything in them fights against it. They don't necessarily know that they're fighting against it. They don't even consciously necessarily know that they're fighting against it. But everything before you have a true regeneration in your heart, before your heart is, um, which before God, it is, uh, according to Romans, according to so many of Paul's letters, your, your heart is dead. You, you are dead. You are walking around, and yes, you have a limited amount of time on this planet, but you are dead to God. Until God allows you, his spirit, to raise you from the spiritual dead, like he did his son, when that happens, you can tune in like a radio frequency you couldn't ever get before. You can now hear that spiritual frequency. And so before a person comes to Christ, well, their flesh lusts against, it wars against, it wants against the spirit of God. Everything the spirit of God would want for you, you before Christ war against it. You, you don't necessarily go, well, I hate God. You don't wake up one day at five years of age as an atheist. You gradually get taught stuff by this world. This world will, without God, this world will find a way to take any of that out of you because the world's software wars against the spirit. So he says, for the lusts of the, the, the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish if you're a Christian. Now, the New Living Translation, I love it, says your choices are never free from this conflict. That's the deal. And so some of us go, man, I just I feel like I'm really struggling right now or I feel like I'm really going through a difficult time right now. And I'm just not wanting to do what God says. I'm just if I'm being honest right now, I just 
I, I kind of just want to wallow in myself. I kind of just want to do a little self-care for a year. <laughs> Some people say that's backsliding. Whatever the terms are, that the, the software of your body, your bones, your skin, the software that you're immersed in is the opposite software of what the Spirit is trying to get you to tune into. And so, of course, you don't do the things that you wish. Your choices are never free from conflict on this earth. Do you think one day when, we, when, when those who know Christ are in heaven, you, your glorified spirit is it, the body's, that old tent is gone. Your choices will not be free, or your choices will be free from conflict then. They are not right now. They are not free from conflict right now. So in verse 17, he's trying to explain to these guys in 16 what they should do, in 17 why they don't do it. He's like, look, you guys, you started verse 7. You, you ran well. When I was there, you ran well. You started, you, you were running fast. And Paul does use this, this picture, which I love. I love the fact that, like, could Paul have, have ever in a million years thought that people would be reading his, his, his pen words on these things? No. Could he, could he have fathomed the craziness around us, the, the Teslas and the planes and all this stuff? But the one thing we all get, just like before, is we get athletics. We get the Olympics. We get people running a race. We understand that, that uh, analogy. So whether or not you're driving down the highway or driving down the narrow way, pretend you're walking down it. Pretend you're running down it. Pretend you're jogging down it. He says, you guys ran well. Who hindered you? Satan will use anything in this, on this planet to hinder you from trying to tune into the spiritual radio station that is God's spirit talking to your heart. Anything. But what will he love to use? People who use religion to tell you to leave Jesus. That's the greatest trick ever is, well, these people know more than we do. These people are Jewish. They're, some of them are rabbis. Some of them are Judaizers. Some of them are of the Pharisees. We should listen to them. Jesus was Jewish. That's what they always tell us. The first thing they always tell us is Jesus was Jewish. You guys got to be Jewish. Well, but we're Greeks. Yeah, but you got to become Jewish. You need to be circumcised. You need to do this. You need to keep the law. You need to keep the festivals. You need to do Passover. Mm, we don't have a temple here in Turkey. Don't worry about it. Just do everything we're telling you and don't even ask a single question. He's saying, guys, where in the world does this come from? This, this leaven or this, this, this false gospel, a little bit gets into your church and just like a little bit of yeast gets into bread, it, it, it ruins the whole deal. It's infiltrated through the whole thing. But, verse 18, if you are led, if... He's not writing this to non-Christians. He's writing it to Christians. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Conversely, if you are not, then you are. So if you're, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. But if you're led by your flesh, you are under the law. If you're saying, my flesh is good enough to justify me, I'll get there, Jesus. Yeah, you were good in the beginning, but now I'm, I'm abandoning you. I'm walking away from you, and I'm going to... To this, or I'm going to religion, or I'm going to Buddhism, or I'm going to whatever, then you're under the law. Then you're going to, you, you are standing on your own. You're not standing with Jesus's righteousness. So he says, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, 
idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in, in the past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So much in here, but I want to talk about the idea of practicing versus stumbling. The, the greatest, for me, the greatest analogy of a practice is either a medical practice or a law practice. When you talk to doctors and lawyers, I have never known doctors and lawyers that didn't work like 60 hours a week. I mean, seriously, like when you go to a law firm, when you go to a, a huge doctor's office, they are there all the time. Lawyers, specifically lawyers, because we do call those a law office, a practice. These guys, their entire life is law. Their entire life is practicing law. Their entire life is this, quote, practice. So when you talk to people that are completely consumed by the world, when you talk to people that are completely consumed with and of their sin, there's no conviction. There's no like, oh man, I just... I've been doing these crazy things, but um, to get back to that, that ACDC former, uh, former um, front man uh, who, who's been dead for, I don't know, 40 years or so, um, somebody was writing an, an article about him that was close to the band, and they said that, um, he, and he died of, of, of alcohol. He dry, died of drinking too much alcohol, and he was, he was young. He was, I think he was in his 30s. But... Um, he was in the hospital for a drug overdose a few years before that. And somebody that was close to the band um, said, hey, man, when you get out of here, what are you going to do? He's like, I don't know, man. He goes, but right now I got two different women that are both about to bring uh, to term both of my kids. And they don't know each other. And I think it's hilarious. And the guy goes, oh, wow. He goes, so they don't know anything about each other? He's like, yeah. So, you know, I'm about to have two kids, but um, I'll know, but nobody else will. Still, no record of these kids anywhere on the, on the um, when you look at the, the bio page, there's no names, there's no record of them. And the guy goes, and there's probably a few more out there if you know this guy. Now, to his day, I always look for like, hey, at the very end of his life, did he kind of turn around a little bit? Took it all the way down as fast as he possibly could. Just really, really, really a, just an in-your-face basically rock star if you will that's practice that's not a guy who's like man i feel really horrible about it i gotta have a tough conversation with two different women um and i gotta get back to church no didn't feel bad about any of it thought it was the greatest thing in the world that's different paul's saying the works of the flesh yield this this type of a, a sentence run-on sentence, if you will, is not the kind of sentence you want written on your tombstone. Dan was this, fornicator, unclean, lewd. But this guy probably would have been excited about, about that. Like, I can't imagine he, wouldn't, he would have had a problem with that. What he's saying is somebody who goes to work to do these things, that is not a child of God, Period. Does that mean that some Christian who's struggling with some things on this list from time to time isn't a Christian? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying the practicer, not the stumbler. Paul says that we're going to stumble. 
uh, John says we're going to stumble. He says, if you, don't, if you say you don't have any sin, you're a liar. So what's the difference? The difference is somebody who, when they are in sin, feels something. And they don't feel something randomly. They feel something because they know what God thinks about stuff. Because they know God. It's like when you, when you have this father that expects you to be like, like military kids that I used to know. When, when they get into trouble, the number one thing they think is, my dad's going to kill me. Why? Because I know my dad's standard. Why? Because I know my dad. That's what a Christian knows. A Christian, a true Christian knows God's word. They might not know it as good as the guy who memorizes scripture for a living. They may not know it like the kids that go to these uh, Awana clubs and stuff where they're incentivized to, to memorize huge chunks of scripture, but they know what it says. They know the essence of the scriptures. For the Christian, there is going to be some stumbling. Sometimes a lot of stumbling. When you look at Samson, a lot, a lot of stumbling. We'll throw another a lot in there. And yet, at the end of his life, where was he at? Man, I messed this up. God, if you could just use me one more time. I'll just, uh, I would just be happy to be used by your spirit. I know it left me. And I know it's because of me but just one more time. Yet when there is stumbling and there's, when there's the works of the flesh going on in a Christian, there's conviction. Once again, that radio station always is playing. That spiritual radio station you could never get, it's always playing. There's repentance. There's a turnaround. There's a, ah, that wasn't good. Not, man, I love this. This is great. I just love reveling in sin. I love being as bad as I can be. Bad to the bone, another song um, from way back. No, there's repentance. There is, as Paul said in Romans, a warring against the inner man, the inner woman. There's a war that goes on when someone is stumbling in sin. They're not all right. They're not doing great. So he says, here's the list. People that practice this like a lawyer practices law. A lawyer doesn't practice law and then in the middle of the day go change oil for three hours. Never seen it in my life. Although everybody has a side hustle nowadays, so you never know. Maybe it'll start. But the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. What is he saying? Does the law not exist? No, the law exists. Jesus said, I came to fulfill it. And until everything is truly done, not, you can't take any of it and delete it. But when a person operates in the Spirit of God... That is not on them. They're under a different, if you will, a different dispensation or a different governing body. And that is the spirit of God through God's grace. So here are the fruits of the spirit. Love is king of all these things because if a person has love, then the rest will follow. It's just the way it is. Most that have some background in the church know this list well. Most of you guys, if you've been around the church, probably could memorize from some, from, from some uh, translation, you probably know those things backwards and forwards. It's a list many people quote. It's a list many people throw around there. These are the attributes of a person who continually pursues that narrow road, spirit road, if you will. The person who knows their natural weakness knows their propensity to be deterred by the flesh and to be lied to, and to be deceived by the flesh, and is constantly choosing to yield to this higher road. 
Once again, stumbling can be a great reminder that you and I have not arrived. What does Paul say? I call him the all-star of the New Testament. He says, not that I've already apprehended or not that I've already arrived, but I press on. I don't quit. I don't quit running. And running, once again, that analogy of, a, of the human race, if you will. I don't mean the races. I mean everybody's running from the day that they're born till the day that they die. They're moving in some way, shape, or form, hopefully forward. But stumbling can be a reminder that you and I are not there yet, that there is nothing truly good in us. Truly, there is nothing from you and from me, this side of heaven, without God's spirit, that yields something that God's like, that's great. That is satisfactory. I'm good with that. Nothing. On your best day, if something is good in you, it either looks good and it actually isn't, or it is the spirit of God. It's one of the two. If we happen to display any or all of these spiritual fruits, any of them or all of them, at any given time in our lives, it is God's God's abiding life flowing through. We were grafted in, and now that life comes from not us. It's something you and I could not produce in a million years on our own. And it's not that you can't go do a good deed. It's not that you can't. The question is always motive. If, if it comes out of a heart that is actually fleshly, if it comes out of a heart that's actually sinful, then what's its motive? Are you doing good because you just want to be completely benevolent? Or are you doing good because it looks good, it feels good, somebody else sees it? What's the reason? I'm not the one that said this. I'm not the one that, that manufactured this. The Bible says, hey, nobody naturally seeks God. No, not one. God pursues spiritually. Some will come. He knows. I don't know how he knows, but he knows. Verse 24, or excuse me, yeah, verse 24. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Huge verse here, crucified the flesh. What does this really mean? A lot of people have different, differing opinions on this. They say, oh, well, to be crucified in Christ is blah, 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 and they give you some theological answer. It's an interesting topic. Is the flesh, is the flesh truly crucified in your life and my life? Or is it still alive in our members or in our bodies? If you want to say that word bodies. So is the flesh truly crucified or is it still alive in our bodies? Yes. Answers yes. Free will, predestination. Which one's true? Yes. They are true. Amen. So, this is a good one. I love this. It's, it's one of those interesting things where people go, oh, you heretic. Um, well, here's my question to you. If yours is truly crucified, if it's truly dead, your flesh is truly dead, then you should be perfect on the side of heaven. Your standing is perfect, spiritually speaking. In heaven, you are there. Colossians 3. Think about the heavenlies. That's where you are. When Christ, who is your real life, your real life, spiritually speaking, is, if you are in Christ, is safe with God. You're safe. But what about what I'm struggling with? What about my flesh? What about what's going on? From a spiritual perspective, our flesh is dead. God is not on a time zone, okay? God's not like in this weird deal that you and I are in right now. From a spiritual perspective, when you said yes, he goes, safe. 
Spirit, your spirit is with me. Your spirit, you're, you are alive. But we walk around in this software world called sin, decay, curse. So from a spiritual perspective, our flesh is dead and we have received Christ's righteousness. But on this planet, we still have the ability to choose our own selfish way because we're here. The difference between us and someone who does not know God is that we have the ability to not choose the highway to hell. We have the ability to not choose to sin today. We have that ability. Before Christ, you didn't have that ability. Once again, you might have had a great day. You might have gone and built some low-income housing for people in third world countries before Christ. Awesome. Great, Brad Pitt. He built, I don't know how many houses in, in, uh, after Katrina. That's awesome. That's great. People got a house for free. Sweet. But from a spiritual perspective, what did that do to pay his debt, his sin debt? Nothing. There is power to refuse the fleshly desire. He's asking us to do it. He's saying, hey, guys, walk in the spirit. You don't tell somebody, hey, tomorrow I want you to jump a 15-foot wall because it can't do it. He only tells us to do things that seem like a 15-foot wall because we can do it with somebody else's pole vault. You know what I'm saying? And so in this case, yeah, the difference between us us right now, if you're in Christ and somebody um, that is not, or the difference between you BC and after Christ is that you have the ability through listening to God's Holy Spirit to not pursue these horrible list of things from 19 to 22. The difference, once again, there is power to refuse. There is. Do we always do it? No. But there is power in the Spirit of God to refuse the fleshly desire which we never had before. We never had that ability. We never had our heart made alive by something outside of us before Christ. 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. <clears throat> Realizing this identity of spirit life or union with Christ on a spiritual dimension is the key. Once again, realizing that you are different. Sometimes you don't feel different, but you are different. With the day that you get married, it takes a while to, to kind of feel married. Like that does take a while, but the, the, spiritually speaking, you know, at a Christian wedding, it says the two have become one. But you don't always feel like that, but you are that. You are that. Um, Christian married couples are one in Christ. They don't often make decisions as one, but they are. It's, it's a reality because we are hybrid. We are flesh and we are spirit in this life. But realizing this identity is, is key and also enjoying fellowship with people who are on the same road, people that are on the same page, people in the same, you know, that, like in this church, people that believe the exact same way that you do. When I was younger, though, I thought the idea of pray without ceasing, you know that verse, Paul says pray without ceasing. I used to think this was one of the scariest death sentences in the entire Bible. I'm not kidding. I was terrified. I didn't want to live forever because I was like, man, how about like just put a period at the end of the sentence? How about like a billion years? How about like a million five? I don't want to live forever because I can't fathom this. But the reason I was so scared of pray without ceasing is because I listened to old Baptist prayer meeting guys. Oh, how holiest of lords and this and that. I was like, 
Dude, if I have to do that without stopping, I'm gonna shoot myself. I'm sorry. In this, in this idea, I saw these long public prayer meetings. I fell asleep in almost every one of them because there was a big group of people and my dad made me come to him and I'm sitting in the back listening to these old dudes pray. And I'm like, I can't pray like this. I don't even think I want to pray like this. I don't think I want to sound like this when I pray. But sometimes, sometimes you'd hear somebody pray and it was like, wow, yeah, that's it. Sometimes you'd hear somebody just be real with God, the way you would talk to a friend at coffee, the way you would talk to somebody when you're struggling. And so prayer is talking to God and acknowledging that you do not want to operate in this dispensation or in this fleshly way, in this, in this software, this kind of frozen in time. Like, yeah, while we're here, we operate in a world that's got all this junk in it. And sometimes we get really caught up in the junk. Sometimes Satan makes it look really, really, really great. And he throws a carrot in front of us and we're like, oh yeah, I gotta go get that. I gotta go pursue that. But once again, praying without ceasing is like talking to your best friend a lot. Like that's not hard. That's actually awesome. That's actually fun. And what is it? It's God and me saying, God, I didn't choose you last hour at all. I chose to be mad. I chose to be angry. I chose to be a nightmare. And I need, I need your help. And in that, I'm asking for help, but I'm also acknowledging weakness. I'm also acknowledging that I didn't hit that mark, but it, it's, it's helping me realize actively I'm not there. I'm not like, I'm not where I should be. Therefore, how can I judge another brother? How can I judge another sister? How can I expect them to be here when I'm down here, but I feel like I should be here. Lastly, finishing the whole kind of thing up here, verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. What in the world is this doing at the end of fruit of the spirit? If you're Christ, you're crucified with your flesh. Awesome terms to throw at people on, with, a, with a Hallmark card when they're struggling. Just crucify your flesh some more, brother. What does that mean, bro? I'm struggling. Well, live in the spirit. Walk by the spirit. Not conceited. Provoking one another. Envying one another. Do we do this? Yeah. All day. Twice on Sunday. <laughs> genuineness. It's about genuineness. Over the years, when I have talked to people, a lot of times on flights, a lot of times on um, when you're sitting waiting for something, start chatting with somebody about whatever they see you you know, I've, I've prepared a ton of messages in my entire life, both youth and for this church on flights. People see it or you take it out halfway through and they're talking to you about, you know, what they do and stuff. And then you're like, then you take it out and they're like, oh, what do you, what's that? Galatians, what's that? It's a Bible. I'm a pastor. I, you know, I'm preparing. Oh yeah, yeah. I could never, I could never go back to church. Why? Yeah. It's just, I, I used to go to church and this happened or this happened or this happened, whatever, whatever the, the deal is, the describing words that come back are never, those are the most real people I ever encountered. Those are the most genuine people I ever encountered. It's always hypocritical, fake, religious. Those are the, th or derivatives of those three. So what's interesting about this closing verse is, why in the world does Paul tell us all that he tells us? Hey, walk in the spirit. Don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Hey, don't do these horrible, nasty things you used to do. 
And then the fruit of the Spirit is this. Guys, don't be conceited. Don't make each other furious. And stop envying one another. Hmm, why? Well, it's because of a few things. The first thing is human beings have a very hard time not comparing ourselves to other people. Comparison trap is the word I would use. We compare ourselves to people for any, a, a million reasons. Why? Somebody walks up in a brand new car. Oh, man, I need a new car. Why? Why? What's wrong with your car? Because he has one. That's your brother, man. Be excited for him. It's a company car. Ken. I love his car. It's a company car. But why? Why when the shiny new car comes in do we go, oh, I got to get one. So-and-so just got an RV. I need an RV. You're going to use it once a year. Maybe. It's going to be eaten by rats in Arizona. It's going to depreciate 40% the first year, maybe more, except for during COVID, where somehow they went up in value. We do this. We compare. So what happens when you compare? Mm, People get conceited. People envy one another. People provoke one another. Well, then I'm going to get one. Oh, you're going to get the 2023? My car's new, but it was only 2022. Well, I'm going to get the 2023 and be better than you. Okay? Why? Why do we do this? And obviously, I'm not, I'm, this is, I'm just talking out of turn. I don't know anybody who's done this, but that specific thing. But just like every single person in this room and on this planet is different, that's the uniqueness of our God, the artist. He made billions and billions of different souls, different minds, different brilliances, different uh, talent. Somebody that, that is good at uh, sports, somebody that's good at, at an analytics, somebody that's good at administrative work, whatever it is, good with their hands, welder, lawyer, doctor, whatever. It's awesome. But we struggle when we see somebody on Facebook, I'm sorry, Facebook, um, <laughs> that looks like they just got another second home. So we'll call it the third home. And you're like, man, I wish I was a doctor. You have no idea what's really going on in that life. You don't know that that picture is even real. It's likely not. And it's been enhanced. Every person is uniquely different, but most of us walk at different speeds. Me and my daughter walk really, really fast. We call it the Chicago walk. Chicago people walk at five miles an hour. That's how they walk. My wife is literally always behind me. We go to a store. She's like, can you slow down? I'm like, do I really have to walk two miles an hour? Yeah. If you want to walk with me, you do. Okay. We run at different speeds. We walk at different speeds. We jog at different speeds. And so therefore we're at different speeds spiritually. And if we're earnest in our faith, why does another brother have to be like, dude, you need to start doing this. I started listening to Caleb while I sleep 48 hours a week, and now I'm better than you spiritually, and so you need to start doing it. I don't see Paul talking about K-love in here. I do, say, I do see him saying, hey, stop provoking people, you Christian. Stop. Why don't you, what's up with the friendly fire? Stop. Stop, guys. So we're all different. 0.01 miles an hour different in a year. Do you have any idea what that yields? If you are not a tenth of a mile per hour behind somebody or in front of somebody, but a hundred in a year, think of the hours. You're going to be miles ahead at the end of the year or miles behind or over here or over here. It doesn't really matter. If you are in Christ, 
encourage your brother, encourage your sister to keep going. That's what he's saying. After you and I see this, after we see this long list, hey, don't do these things. Don't be a part of these things. Don't be practicing all these nasty things. If you, if you mess up, dust yourself off, come back to your daddy and tell him you messed up and, and, and start walking toward him again. Start walking back on Spirit Road. Get off that other road. But don't become conceited. Don't be puffed up. Don't provoke other Christians. And don't envy what they have. Don't envy where they're at. God has you. If you you are truly his, and that's what Paul's really wanting. Guys, I want you to know if you're truly his. If you're like, I don't even know, then come back. Because the world's not going to come back when you preach this message. They're going to be like, pfft. Stop talking. But a Christian who's like, man, I don't, just kind of struggling. Come back. Just come back. And if you're a Christian that can help that brother or sister, bring them back. Don't make them feel bad because they've been a prodigal. Don't make them feel bad because they were two blocks down the street when you found them. Come back and, and pray and, and thank God, hey, they're back. They're back in the fold. After we have said no to some of the things that we have struggled with for years, we may start to build up a spiritual ego, a little bit of a spiritual portfolio, if you will. Then when we notice another Christian near us struggling, because we are not currently struggling today, this hour, with that specific sin that we used to, we have a tendency to start doing a little comparing, a little judging, little jockeying for position. Hey, Jesus, who's going to be sitting on the right-hand side? Who's got the corner office in heaven when we get up there? Did I not just tell you that I'm about to go give my life and be beaten within an inch of my life? Did I not just tell you guys that? Did I not ask you to sit and pray because Satan wants to sift you, Peter? Did I not just tell you to watch and pray lest you be taken by temptation? Did I not just say that? I know you guys are really tired right now. I know you've had a really rough day with my meal that I just made for you. And you're all going to run away in three seconds. Why do you think they struggled this much? Probably because the weight of the world, the weight of the church, the start of the church was going to be on them. And God was like, man, they can't be puffed up. I can't let these, I can't let these guys be like, we stood next to him. And then we started the church and all of you stink. No. But Peter's, Peter was like, man, if I could ever talk again, just God, just let me be used. That's all I want after what I just did. Sometimes that, sometimes those sins, sometimes those things have a great little, little, God will use everything. He'll use those struggles. He'll use those messes that we make. All right, let's pray. I'm, I'm way over. Uh, Father God, we thank you uh, for this, uh, for this very short but uh, pointed text. Lord, we thank you for um, making it black and white. It's so crystal clear. God, what you want. You're not asking us to take one of 80 roads. You're taking, asking us to take one road, the narrow road, the one that the world does not choose. God, help us to help each other as you help us. In Jesus' name, amen.